Hey everyone, Jeremy L. Jones here, author of Ruins of Empire. I hope you're enjoying this free podcast novel. If you want to support us, there are a couple of ways you can do that. The entire Ruins of Empire series is available as an ebook or a paperback. You can buy them on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and you can always leave us a review. It helps more people find this and gives producer Sean a little thrill, because without you all listening, well, he's just a sad man listening to me read a book out loud. You are listening to Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, book two of the Ruins of Empire Project, a serial podcast novel by Jeremy L. Jones, read by the author. Chapter Two Nobody knows who threw the original Molotov cocktail in that video from so long ago. The name of the victim has been lost to history. All that is known is, moments before he was engulfed in flames, he tried to disperse a crowd of illegally striking dock workers. But in a video that was reportedly seen by every person on the planet at the time, Diana Adriana walked onto the world stage. As the man writhing in pain crawled to her, probably hoping for help, she knelt down, lifted a bottle of alcohol to her lips, and sprayed it in his face. From The Fall, The Decline and Failure of 21st Century Civilization by Martin Raff On the outskirts of Orchester, Vago shuffled forward in a line of recovering Triple T addicts in the basement of a crumbling building, like a herd following the Judas goat to slaughter. Nobody said anything. Nobody did anything besides shuffle forward. The only light came from the rows of pale fluorescent lights that cast everything in a sickly green glow, illuminating walls that had apparently been whitewashed long ago before chunks had fallen off and exposed the brick, wood, and battered drywall beneath. Somebody at some point tried to cover some of the damage with paper-thin screens that displayed short video loops of inspiring scenes. Families having a picnic together, an old married couple holding hands, a father playing and laughing with his little girl. They all had uplifting phrases holographically projected under the video that jumped out and followed him as he walked down the hallway. Recovery is possible. You can reclaim your life. Happiness is closer than you think. Bullshit platitudes, wasted on people who have long since forgotten what hope felt like. Vago lived upstairs with the rest of these human ruins in a small clinic for Triple T addicts. It was a mostly peaceful life. People stripped of every human emotion tend to make boring party guests. That's what the haze did to people. Triple T was the ultimate drug. While riding its high, colors, tastes, sensations, the whole world was brighter, sharper, and more vibrant. But when the high was over, all that was left was the haze. After being cleaned for a while, that's all the world ever was. It was like being locked in a dark prison with only one small grimy window looking outside. The worst part was once a week when they all shuffled into this basement for the group therapy meeting. If Vago played along, they left him alone for another week. All he had to do was sit. If someone asked him to talk, he just had to say that everything was fine. It was tough right now, but he was getting through it. He was feeling again, and it felt good. He had no desire to use Triple T ever again. All lies, but the truth, would put him into the high-risk category. Before they went into the meeting room, every person placed their arm on a kind of glass table, 
where a laser scanned it from the elbow to wrist and analyzed the chemical content. Vega put his arm on the scanner. A female voice, so happy and chipper it made his teeth clench, said, Welcome, Vega Spade. Trihydroxide thiosulfate tetraoxide levels at 0%. Endorphin level is at 56% below normal. You are 186 days clean today. Congratulations. The meeting room was a wider version of the hallway outside. Same sickening light, same crumbling walls, same video loops, slightly different platitudes. Embrace your new life. Every day, a new opportunity. If they wanted posters that actually had anything to do with Triple T recovery, they would have a picture of a person with a vacant stare and a string of drool running off their lip, and the words underneath would say, Cheer up. Today was bad, but tomorrow will be so much worse. You're better off dead. You're halfway there anyway. Just give up. The world is fantastic on the tee, and nothing without it. The people shuffled toward a set of chairs arranged in a circle in the middle of the room. Vago took a seat between a spaced-out-looking woman with ratty black hair and a guy that looked like someone had taken the air out of an inflated gorilla suit. Once everyone was seated, the group moderator stood up. She took continuous notes on a small computer mounted on the inside of her left arm. She had stiff, artificial-looking blonde hair that shielded about half her face, and she had a strange tendency to blink more often than was necessary. It was like talking to a malfunctioning machine. Mr. Sheenan, said Blinky abruptly, do you have anything to share with the group? The deflated gorilla stood up. Um, I, I had a date last night. First time since getting clean. Things were going well. She's in the program as well, so we got a lot in common. People coming down off the tee talked at length about absolutely nothing and with no inflection whatsoever. It was just a monotone string of words that contained all the provocative, compelling qualities of white noise. I had veal parmesan, I think. Maybe it was chicken. I think it might have been chicken because, you know, I didn't want to make a bad impression. Veal sometimes makes people uncomfortable. I try to be sensitive to that now. Um, afterwards, she invited me back to her house. We went to the bedroom. Vago cringed. The last thing his tattered psyche needed right now was to listen to some burnout's failed sex life. He closed his eyes and offered a silent prayer, promising to dedicate himself to any god who could stop this. I guess, you know, I always have the urge for a dose of the tea, but I've never been so close to relapsing as I was at that moment. It was like everything was dead from the waist down. I mean, it worked. I was able to, you know, perform. It's just nothing happened like it used to. It was just like two pieces of meat slamming together. Oh well, at least Vago could keep his Sundays free. The man paused for a moment, watching the crowd. I guess that's it. Blinky finished taking her notes. Very good, she said without any change in expression. She spoke in odd bursts, like the words gathered behind her mouth and only shot out when the pressure built enough. Reintegration into society is very important. Okay, Mr. Spade, do you have something to share? Damn it. Vega wasn't surprised. He had managed to get through the last two meetings without talking. He could pass again, but he risked a refusal to participate in program activities on his record. So he stood up. Everything is fine, he reminded himself. Just tell them. Everything is fine. Things are tough, but he was getting through it. Every day is a little better. That's the key one. They like that. 
Vago started to speak. Apparently his mouth didn't get the message of his brain. I was making dinner in my kitchen the other day, Vago said in a low, dreamlike voice. I had a knife in my hand, and I remember thinking that I wanted to stab myself in the leg, just to try and remember what things felt like. I'm pretty sure I'd feel pain. Might have felt fear. Maybe excitement. I miss excitement the most. The moderator blinked even more than usual as she chicken-pecked notes into her computer. Her expression still didn't change, but it did become somehow more intense. Not a good sign. She looked up. What did you do then, Mr. Spade? I finished making dinner. More notes. Lots of blinking. Mr. Spade, she continued, if you had access to Triple T, would you use again? Of course not. I'm done with that, said Vega, waving his hand in a dismissive gesture. At least his mouth got that message. Why? As Vago stood there, mute, he frantically searched his brain for the right answer. Failing that, he searched for an answer. Any answer. Mr. Spade, Blinky repeated. She sounded impatient. Vago was suddenly aware that some time had passed. How long had he been standing there with a dumb look on his face? Uh, I don't know, said Vago. I just, I don't know. He sat back down. Blinky finished her notes. Vago didn't have to read them to know what they said. High risk of relapse requires constant surveillance. Passing information through the Nuvo net was difficult. Human-to-human interaction was either heavily monitored or restricted altogether, and sending large amounts of data was nearly impossible. But Kronos found a way. It was simple. In a world where human-to-human interaction was restricted, Kronos had to find a place where it was open. In a world of complete surveillance, he had to find privacy. Most importantly, it had to be so important to the information consortium and the corporation that they would never shut it down. Kronos found the adult virtual immersion and socialization interface, known throughout the NuvoNet as the Electric Bordello. Within that system, human-to-human interaction was allowed because there are some things machines could not replicate. There was no surveillance because humans liked to do those things in private, and the corporation liked it because people would pay a lot of money to do those things. Even if someone was listening to the goings-on within the Electric Bordello, to use that information would signal an end to, perhaps the corporation's single most lucrative endeavor. Cronus loaded himself into the virtual startup chamber. There was nothing around him except a small mirror, suspended a few meters away. It wasn't an empty room. There was literally nothing around him. No walls, no ceiling, no floor. There was something to walk on, but it wasn't physical. More of a point of reference than anything else. It was just empty black space. Every visitor to the electric bordello customized their startup chamber however they wanted, and Kronos took minimalism to an extreme. Welcome, Mr. Kitamu. The sensuous female voice seemed to come from everywhere. Choose the body for you and others to enjoy. Kronos glanced at himself in the mirror. His appearance was the same here as it was in the physical world, from his thinning hairline down to the old gray sweatpants he was wearing when he pulled on his immersion goggles over his dark, baggy eyes. He turned his head and examined himself for a moment. He looked tired, more tired than he was accustomed to, and skinnier than he should. He could almost see his ribs poking up from his pale skin. He could change his appearance to literally anything he wanted and often programmed something interesting for himself, but he was in a hurry. 
He decided his physical form was good enough for today. I am ready, Cronus declared. Starwood's room, please. Password before the fall. There was a pause. You have not made any changes to your appearance. Are you sure you want to continue? The female voice asked. Yes, yes, I am sure. Very well. Your date, username, Miss Starwood, has already arrived. A door appeared in the nothingness and opened to a white glowing beyond. He rolled his eyes as the non-existent hinges squeaked for effect, followed by the flourish of a string quartet. A breeze blew in from the opening and ruffled his remaining hair. The voice continued and Kronos mouthed along with the words, May all your fantasies be fulfilled. Kronos stepped through the door before the voice was done talking and waited for the room to load. Starwood must have picked a room template titled Sultan's Paradise or Crimson Explosion or maybe even The House of Too Many Cushions in a Metric Ton of Lace. The bed was, of course, the centerpiece of the room and it was large enough to host a nine-person orgy. It was useful to have enough space to entertain after all. There was just one person on the bed at the moment. Starwood was apparently trying for something exotic today. She had picked long black hair, dark almond eyes, an olive complexion, and covered her body, which Kronos had to admit was very well proportioned, with a silk robe that didn't so much cover her nakedness as diffuse it. Kronos waited a few moments for everything to render and then glanced up at the ceiling. Jesus, they put cushions up there too. Verify direct connection to NuvoNet user profile Starwood. Protocol identification, a match. A male voice this time. Network address, a match. Testing, connection. Direct connection to Starwood, confirmed. Hello to you too, said Starwood, her voice as smooth as the satin sheet she laid on. She rolled over to look at him. You look like shit. This is what I look like, said Kronos, rubbing his hands over the bald spot in his head. Are the files ready to transfer? You know, it looks bad for two people to just show up in a room, exchange huge amounts of data, and leave without so much as a ripple on the sheets. The woman replied as she sat up. I'm very busy. Busy, busy. You promise files. I promise files. Starwood shot him a look that could have left a mark, and sighed as she slid to the edge of the bed. Prepare transfer protocol underneath the covers. Verify connection. User profile. Asshole. You changed my username in your system, Kronos observed, shifting his weight from one foot to the other. He'd already been here too long. He wanted to get back. Starwood cocked her head. It seemed appropriate. What's the matter with you lately? What do you mean? She got off the bed and wandered over to the minibar across the room. You've changed since you came back from Titan. None of the hack and slicers see you anymore. And when we do, you're rushed or distracted like you've got somewhere to be. I found terabytes of data on Titan, and it was only a sliver of what was there. What exists are scraps, only a few surviving pieces of a massive puzzle burned in a bonfire. The picture is so large, and what I managed to save is so small. And yet, Starwood dropped a few ice cubes in a tumbler. You have time to root around in a woman's past? You sound jealous, Kronos said, still standing in place watching Starwood move. She laughed slightly as she poured some bourbon. See, that's what I'm talking about. Jealous. Why would I be jealous? We don't have a relationship. What I have is a vested interest in the data you're supposed to be recovering. Instead, you seem obsessed with this Isra Jakario person. She is important. I don't know why. 
Every time I pull a string, I find her at the end, and every path I follow leads to her. You know what I think? Starwood said, turning to face him with a cold, calculating, perhaps even predatory look on her face. I think you like her. If that is the narrative as you see it, so be it. It is not my concern. Although it worries me that you believe the only way I can show affection is by uncovering what a person tries to hide. Starwood started back to the bed, drink in hand. The red laced nighty swirled around her body in a way that made Kronos have to adjust his stance. She sat back down on the bed and gave him a coy smile. Tell me, have you ever been with a woman outside the electric bordello? As Kronos felt his mouth go dry, he looked around the room, desperately trying to find something or some way to change the subject. Mercifully, they were interrupted by a beep and the ethereal male voice. Data transfer complete. Starward sat up, still holding the glass of whiskey, and closed her eyes. She stayed perfectly still for a few minutes, and when she opened them again, whispered, Heracles Project. And that's just a taste, said Cronus. The records of it are sparse on Titan, but it is somehow connected to the fall. I can feel it. Isra's connected to it, too, so don't worry about me. I know what I'm doing. Okay, point made, said Starwood, reclining slightly. Just be careful out there. Incoming ministry communication from Isra Jacario, the male voice intoned again. Starwood rolled her eyes and, in an exasperated sigh, said, Of course. Kronos watched Starwood take a long drink and anxiously massaged his hands. I should go. Is it really so much better out there? Kronos stopped. Sometimes. You never unplug. I try to avoid it. Life outside the nouveau net is far too demanding. At any given time, society, law, culture, and even the physical laws of nature all dictate who you are. We've broken free of that. Here, we can be anything. Do anything. So why go back? What's out there that's so wonderful? Kronos thought for a moment. It's windy. And the colors don't look right. Everything's so imperfectly rendered. Sounds terrible. It's just not perfect. I should be going. It was nice to see... Her words were cut off as Kronos shut down the program. Then he was back. He sat up and hung his immersion goggles and handset on a rack next to his chair. He pulled the seat closer to the whirring, beeping computer systems that scanned through the multiple data streams and reached out to pull a floating screen closer. It had a small video feed of Isra in the corner, and every muscle on her face radiated impatience. He touched the image, and it filled the screen. Isra, good to see you. How is South America these days? Boring, but that is about to change. Get packed up. We are preparing an emergency mission. Now. You have been listening to The Ruins of Empire, Templum Veneris, the second book of The Ruins of Empire Project. The Ruins of Empire podcast was written by Jeremy L. Jones and produced by Sean Vincent. Cover art was by Nick Martin. Music was Predator by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 license. City of Geeks, independent new media produced in Idaho.